0: Greetings and welcome to episode number 515 of Holy Crap It's Sports. I'm your host, Pete Davis. It's a stormy night and a beautiful day here at the Sandy Springs Podcast Center in Laundromat. What do we got here? It is, gosh, the end of November already, November 30th, and the month is not ending well for Falcons fans. We'll get into that in just a second. Uh, Some bad news coming down today, and uh, there's other stuff going on, too. Some of you fans, uh, volunteer fans, probably not happy with what went on with the college football rankings last night, so we'll get to that as well. Uh, A little business to start off. If you want to follow me on Twitter, go to Pete PeteDay. Davis one If you want to write me, Pete Davis one at yahoo.com. Want to be a patron of the show? Patreon.com. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Just look up Holy Crap at Sports if you think the show is worth supporting, and I appreciate it. Or you can go on Venmo, whatever these things are. And also, a show note here, the Kimmer Show will not be today, Wednesday, because he's having another toothache thing dealt with. But uh, we should be back tomorrow on Thursday. If not, we'll be there, definitely there on Friday. But I think we're going to do the next two days on the Kimmer Show but we got that to worry about who cares anyway farmhouseprintingco.com for all your t-shirt needs for whatever you want for family or get one of our show things whatever you know the drink up shriner t-shirt it's all right there farmhouseprintingco.com local company sonoya georgia check them out because they are all good people eric and the gang down there all right headlines for wednesday november 30th of 2022 i cannot believe we are at the end of november but really bad news for falcons fans coming up and as predicted here but not agreed with georgia remains number one in the cfp rankings and uga's brock bowers is recognized uh, looks like he may be up for an award georgia tech names a new head coach but does anyone still care Obviously they do, because when I posted this last night, people came out of the woodwork. They still care. Auburn gets their second man in Hugh Freeze. Be careful what you ask for. They've already taken his Twitter away from him. He's denying it, but they did. Texas A&M's athletic director is embarrassed by their fans storming the field, and so are the rest of us. USA shows Iran who their daddy is. Next up, the damn devious Dutch. Ronald Acuna Jr. is having a ball playing ball in Venezuela, and it'll never be over for Deshaun Watson. Ever, ever. Pete's Tweets, this day in sports history, got birthdays, all kinds of good stuff. So let's get going, shall we? What are we drinking today? Well, we did the nog the other day, so we did. How about a little wassail? Look that one up. Mm. Actually, I don't drink wassail anymore except maybe a sip or two, but I love cooking it. On Christmas Day, get a big bowl or a pot, and you put uh, some wine in there, some oranges, some clove, some... Um, uh, whatever cherry juice cranberry juice fruit punch whatever you want and you put some apple cut some apples and throw into the pot and basically you just put it on simmer and the whole day it just the whole place smells wonderful it's like a very christmasy smell it's very Wassell-ish. And you can drink it, too, if you feel like it. Just Don't put the cloves in it if you're going to drink it, because the cloves really really disgusting. All right, uh, really bad news for the Falcons. Unfortunately, we got to start out this way. Arthur Smith, the head coach, has ruled Kyle Pitts out for the season. He had that knee injury against the Bears a couple weeks ago. He was on the uh, injured reserve on the next day. Well, a torn MCL. He had to have surgery. And the Falcons are not concerned with his prognosis. They think he'll be back plenty well for next season. As they did last week in Pitt's absence, the Falcons will look to Pruitt and Parker Hess and Anthony Ferkser, uh, be careful with that name, and Felipe Franks to hold down the depth and production at the tight end position. That's according to AtlantaFalcons.com. This is a big blow. He, I mean, him and Drake London out there and Zacchaeus and some of the other guys were doing just a bang-up job. But uh, he's now banged up. College football, let's get to it. The penultimate college football playoff rankings are out, and UGA is still number one, followed by Michigan, Texas Christian, then Southern California is the top four. Ohio State fell to fifth, then inexplicably Alabama is at number six. I don't understand that. Tennessee beat them. I just don't get it. It's like, well, Tim Brando points it out all the time. is the brand name bullshit, and that's true. So the Bulldogs stay on top. This will make Big Ten fans go ape guano. Uh, (laughs) I think the Wolverines should be number one at least until the conference title games this weekend, and then Georgia would probably pop up there. But once again, they're there. I heard a lot from Dogs fans that Georgia should be first. That way they can choose what bowl they go to. I responded by saying if UGA is so much better than the rest, as I've been told over and over, then it shouldn't matter where or who they play, right? At this moment, I think the Bulldogs and Michigan are the two top teams in the country. All the rest of them are going to have to rely on upsets and miracles to beat either one of them. It can happen, but right now I just see it, unless they're not pitted against each other or pitted too early, it should come down to Georgia-Michigan, and I would pay to see that. Someone put out a graphic yesterday, uh, showed Alabama-Ohio State, saying this would be get more ratings than all the other games combined. B.S. it would. I'm – Hey, look, I got nothing against you, but the whole world is sick of Alabama being in it, and everybody's sick of Ohio State being in it. I'm sorry. It's time for some new blood. Let's uh, let's shake it up a little bit. Uh, the College Football Committee has given the Rose Bowl an ultimatum for sometime today, Wednesday, to make up their mind quick if they want to be part of the New Year's six-game rotation schedule So they can expand to a 12-team playoff starting in 2024. The Rose Bowl may muck it up. We have to wait to 2026 or something like that. But supposedly sometime today, the Rose Bowl, they're going to be asked, uh, are you going to do it or get off the pot? And we'll see. The Rose Bowl wants to stay at 4 p.m. in the afternoon Eastern time. One o'clock start out there in the West Coast. That's the way they've done it for decades. I understand why they want to do that. But here's here's what the thing, here's what I think will happen. If they stand up the college football playoff committee, if they call their bluff, the committee is ready to move on without them. I don't think the Rose Bowl has figured out how much money is involved in, the, in these playoffs. If the Rose Bowl throws a little fit and stamps their feet and decides not to be a part of it, I think they'll be just fine because you know what they can do? There'll be plenty of fan bases, like Alabama and Ohio State, that will say, look, we should have been in the playoffs, but we're not. And the Rose Bowl says, well, come on out here and we'll settle it. Now, won't we? Wouldn't you watch an Alabama-Ohio State game in the Rose Bowl? Yeah, yeah. I'd watch that. I don't want to see them in the playoffs this year, but I'd see. I'd watch that in the Rose Bowl. The thing for the Rose Bowl, though, they got to realize that once it goes to a 12-team playoff, if the Rose Bowl's not part of that, no one's going to give a crap about the Rose Bowl anymore except the people in Pasadena. It's going to become one of those quaint things that we'll look back and go, "Gosh, that was sure nice to have the rose ball, wasn't it? Boy, that was a nice thing." And a hundred-year-plus tradition just will fade away, as so many things have. And uh, so they got to be careful what's going on with what they uh, decide to do. As Georgia strives for a second consecutive national title, Brock Bowers in line for some pretty good hardware himself. Selected as one of three finalists for the John Mackey Award for the nation's top tight end. The other finalists are Iowa's Sam Laporta. He's pretty good. And Notre Dame's Michael Mayer, who's really, really good. I think he's almost as good as Bowers is. Uh, the six foot four, 230-pound Bowers, uh, 46 catches, over 600 yards, and five touchdowns. Averages over 14 yards per catch this season. He's a sophomore. Uh, last season's SEC Freshman of the Year, uh, 13 touchdowns for the national championships. He also holds the record uh, for most touchdowns in a season by a Georgia tight end. It's so good for him. What are you drinking, the wassail? Okay, let's do that. Oh, <laughs> by the way, you may notice there's no ticking time bomb behind this podcast today, unlike Monday. For some reason... Don't ask me what there is a metronome feature on GarageBand which is how I record this which is great for music I guess not so much for podcasting sorry about that in 514 shows I've left the damn metronome on twice if I do it a third time I will put myself in timeout in fact I was for some reason the Mac does what it wants to do every once in a while and as I started recording this today I looked up and the damn button was on again so I turned it off so it looks like I'm going to have to look for it every dang show. In the past, I just turned it off once, and it was gone. Well, it's back. It's back, like that Michael Myers from Halloween or something. Uh, Georgia Tech named interim coach Brent Key, the school's next head coach. They announced that yesterday. It was kind of low-key. I was literally flicking around last night, and I was going down. Uh, where was I? I? was on ESPN.com, and I went on the um, – college football the NCAA football page and I'm scrolling down do 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 and I get to about the fifth or sixth story and it says Georgia Tech names Brent Key the coach it's like what there was no notice from ESPN there was no the warning thing that goes off when there's a big story because it's not a big story anymore I mean basically I found out by just I happened to scroll otherwise I wouldn't have known it didn't even pop up on my Twitter feed to an hour or two later and it's it's sad. Because that's it was very recently that Georgia Tech mattered. They went four and four with Key as the interim coach, took over after Jeff Collins just completely screwed it up. He went ten and twenty eight. He was fired in September. Uh, Brent led the Yellow Jackets to wins over Pitt, Duke, Virginia Tech, and North Carolina. They finished five and seven, so that's pretty good. A former team captain, all ACC offensive lineman at Tech, started forty four games from nineteen ninety seven to two thousand. He's at his alma mater, so we'll see uh, some, so my question is this though does anyone still care has Georgia Tech officially given up being relevant in college football because Brent Key seems like a great guy I've heard of his interviews he really says everything he needs to he's a loyal tech man but will this fire up the fans because I kind of doubt it the story of him being hired was buried on sports media hardly a ripple and not too long ago the Jackets getting a new coach was actually big news not anymore it's like a Matt Luke situation—not that dire, but it smacks of something close. Did no one else really want the gig? Because they they interviewed Willie Fritz of Tulane, who has a better resume. And why make the decision so quickly? What what was the hurry here? It's not like Brent Key was you know had job offers to go to Villanova or Iowa to replace Kirk Ferentz or you know UCLA or whatever. Not that they're open. I just don't understand why they had to do it so quickly. Hopefully it works out because he's, 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 a, he's a tech guy, and I hope it works out. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for tech, and I, I wish they could turn it around. Atlanta's a more interesting sports town when you have Georgia and Georgia Tech both winning programs, and maybe one day, Georgia State. <laughs> yeah. Auburn settled on their second choice, no matter what spin they're using and getting Hugh Freeze from Liberty after Lane Kiffin turned them down. Let me say that again. Lane Kiffin turned them down, and they were so cocked. Sure, he was going to drop everything and come to coach the Tigers. No one tells us no. Well, they did the last coaching search. Anyway, now Hugh is a good coach, very good on offense, a good recruiter. He should do very well on the planes. But some facts need to be known. Over Freeze's five-year tenure with Ole Miss, He posted a 19 and 18 record in the SEC. Now, ESPN said yesterday he was 19 and 21. I don't know whose figures are right, but they're very similar, so we'll just stick with that one. He had winning records in 2014 against the SEC. He went 5 and 3. In 2015, he went 6 and 2. In his three other campaigns, Freeze was 8 and 11 overall in conference action. And someone pointed out the other day that after he beat Alabama those two years, uh, he The team collapsed. They lost like three other games after that. And, yes, he beat Alabama twice in a row. But that was when Freeze was running to spread, hurry up offense. Not, not a lot was going on there in the SEC. It drove Nick Saban crazy. It doesn't drive Nick crazy anymore. So Hughes' main weapon has been neutralized. And let's face it, I watched his Rebels defense, or what was laughably called a defense, melt like butter in the microwave time and again. It was infuriating to see Ole Miss jump out to a big lead, then watch in horror as the other team roared back. They still kind of do that, just not as bad as they used to. Visions of that nationally televised game against Florida State come to mind a few years ago. Nightmare fuel. So anyway, do not expect him to give a tinker's cuss about defense. Hugh Freeze thinks he can outscore everybody, and it doesn't matter what you do on offense. So be prepared to win a lot of games 45-41, to 41, Auburn fans. But if he wins them, who cares? Uh, well, since the winning teams are now known for their balance, Georgia, Bama recently, and right now Michigan has seemed to have grasped the concept that you need to score now and then and not just rely on defense, the trend right now in college football is balance, and Georgia is proving that. And Michigan's gotten onto the train, too. Freeze reportedly will not be tweeting during his coaching tenure at Auburn, which is probably going to be three or four years, uh, even if he's good. Pat Forty of Sports Illustrated uh, had this interesting tidbit. Multiple sources say Freeze has agreed to relinquish control of his social media accounts. Now, Freeze is denying this, but the background check on Freeze was extensive, and the school hired a PR consultant to handle the expected blowback in bringing him aboard. They are jumping through a lot of hoops for this guy. So on Monday, Freeze's Twitter account quote tweeted Auburn's announcement and a congratulatory message from Gus Malzahn. Here's what Gus had to say. Happy for my friend, Coach Hugh Freeze, for getting the Auburn job. That's a special place. You're going to love it. I've also got a couple old sweater vests laying around if you ever need them. (laughs) And Freeze shot back, you're a dear friend. Thank you so much. I'll take your visors, but pass on the sweater vests, L-O-L. I think it's probably maybe the last tweet we'll ever see from Hugh Freeze. He's been known to use Twitter in the past to fire back at critics and media members. He uh, shared praise for Lane Kiffin's approach to social media, but the difference is Kiffin uses it to attract players to come there because the players are on social media, and that's what he uses it for. Uh, When Kiffin went after that reporter two weeks ago, he had every right to because the reporter was absolutely dead wrong in his story. And he had every right. But for the most part, Kiffin uses it to get recruiting. Uh, Freeze has been using it to attack people. Right? He also was uh, criticized, uh, Freeze, for allegedly sending direct messages to a woman who identified herself as a sexual assault victim in a high-profile case against Liberty University. Chelsea Andrews, uh, her uh, Twitter bio says, LU15, senior class president, and Jane Doe 7. She posted a screenshot of an apparent unsolicited direct message from Freeze. While most reaction from Tigers fans has been positive and willing to forgive his past off-the-field transgressions, some are not happy. Here's some of the tweets. Uh, I think Saturday Down South had some of these. Raised in the Swamp tweeted, "Auburn cannot trust him to have his own socials. How the hell is a parent supposed to trust him with their kid, especially when it's, you know, he was allegedly getting escorts for the uh, players." Is that what the parents want to hear? A T-Bone WDE, an Auburn fan, says, I will support Freeze until he gives me a reason not to, but I got a bad feeling about this. Ron Mexico won. <laughs> I love that. When I was on with the regular guys on 96 Rock, I used to go go uh, by Ron Mexico because we had a douchebag moron of a program director who says, I didn't know you were doing sports on 96 Rock too." Yeah, you know why you didn't know? Because it was none of your fucking business. That's why. Anyway, Ron Mexico. I'd rather have a caddy. or Caddy, Cadillac Williams. Caddy needs to leave, become a head coach elsewhere, and thrive. AU can't get over this, we-need-to-win-now-at-any-cost mentality. It's a bad look for sure. Freeze has character, moral issues, no doubt. The fact that AU had him relinquish control of all social media accounts is amazing. Booches, 94. You've got a bad feeling because regardless how much you want to support Auburn, you know your school just hired a major douchebag. I would feel the same way. I'm just glad I don't have to. Bushes94 is a Missouri fan. Well, he doesn't have to worry about much now, does he? A Georgia fan JTF tweeted, I think he'll do fine given the time. I just find it troubling that you hire a coach and then treat him like a 10-year-old by taking away his phone. Trying to envision the conversation. Uh, Coach, we know you're a grown man with grown children, and we're entrusting you with one of the best and highest profile jobs in America. Now give us your phone. Kirby Smart Smart doesn't get into arguments and spats with fans on social media. He coaches. Nothing more, nothing less. See my point? That's a very good tweet, by the way. And here's where the reaction on Saturday, Saturday Down South went off the rails. Booch's 94 came back and said, move over Eli Drankwitz. You're no longer the most hated coach in the SEC. So Ron Mexico, goes, who hates him? And Bayou Tiger said, I would think most SEC fans rarely even think about Drankwitz. He's on the perimeter. Uh, Cody AU fan too, most of us don't think about Missouri, period. Half the time I forget they're in this conference. <laughs> Me too, by the way. Uh, Hell State 8R Tweeted, remember when the University of Louisville had Bobby Petrino and Rick Petino? Now Auburn has Hugh Freeze and Bruce Pearl. Cohen is making Auburn the Louisville of the SEC. <laughs> Meanwhile, further west in the SEC West, ANM AD Ross Bjork says Aggies fans uh, should be embarrassed. Hell State 8R re- returned. And uh, said something else. I'm not going to go into that. Texas A&M AD Ross Bjork not happy with Aggies fans storming the field after beating a two-loss LSU team. Sheesh, have some pride. Why don't you? Bjork says he understands why it happened, but storming the field is dangerous and that fans should have higher expectations as to when it should storm the field. And they're also having to pay another hefty fine. By the way, I love Bjork's song, Human Behavior. I I don't know how an Icelandic little fairy princess became uh, the AD at uh, Texas A&M, but he's about to be fired, too, by the way. Uh, Let's take some wassail before we talk a little Braves, and it's good news for the Braves. Good, good, good. Unlike the Falcons news, which was not good news. But anyway, Braves news. Ronald Acuna Jr. put on a show alongside a handful of fellow major leaguers on Monday night in the Venezuelan Pro Baseball League Home Run Derby held at Estadio Universitario de Caracas. Acuna hit the winning homer with more than a minute remaining on the clock. As soon as the decisive shot cleared the wall, he took off running onto the field and was mobbed by spectators and competitors, a celebration that spread into the outfield. I'm sure the Braves management did not like seeing him jumping around with that knee, but whatever. It should be fully healed by spring training. Acuna edged out Giants prospect Diego Rincones in the final round. Other players in it, Wilson Contreras, Eduardo Escobar, William Contreras, Eugenio Suarez, Jose Altuve, Gleber Torres, and Juan Yepes. I love that name, Yepes. Uh, Let's see what else we got here. Uh, Acuna and Rincones each hit 12 homers. Uh, The Contreras brothers hit 10 apiece. The Brave superstar took his final swing with one minute and 16 seconds remaining on the clock, sent his sixth homer to straightaway center field to win it. Meanwhile, the rich get richer, the world champion Astros, and that still feels weird to say. Has it really been over a year since the Braves won? Uh, The Astros have signed hard-hitting first baseman Jose Abreu, who had spent his entire career with the White Sox. He finally escaped, and the Astros just get better and better. Uh, World Cup news. All right, let's get to this. The United States prevailed over Iran 1-0 to move on to the knockout round of the World Cup while the Iranians are taking a slow magic carpet ride back across the Persian Gulf. It was almost a pyrrhic victory. It may still be as our best player and the man who scored our lone goal, Christian Pulisic, injured, crashing into the goalie while scoring the winning goal. If I had a dollar for every time I heard a pundit yesterday say he put his body on the line, I'd be a millionaire everybody said it everybody and by the way the three people fox have uh clint is it clint mathis is that his name i can't remember his name uh and the the lady which i don't know she's british that both the, is it clint or something? clint dempsey that's his name clint Dempsey. they're horrible at one point yesterday the, the host goes after they won he says, Clint, oh man, that, was a, that was a big win and everything like that. And Clint goes, yeah, yeah, it was a big win for the U.S. Dead air, dead air. And the, the host had to go, well, what do you think about this? <laughs> it's like, you idiot, you're there to talk, talk. And even Alexei Lawless, who has done this a thousand times, hasn't done a very good job stuttering over himself and all that. They need to get better people to uh, do the commentary. But anyway, uh, by the way, uh, Pulisic is in the, the hospital, or was, has a abdominal injury. He missed the second half of the game against Iran. Uh, will he play later this week against the Netherlands? Well, he basically put out a, a social media post assuring his United States teammates he will be ready. Uh says, uh, don't worry. His teammate, Weston McKinney, said, I sent him a text and checked on him, and he said, best believe I'll be ready on Saturday. But will he be uh, top of his game? Because they need him. The Dutch are one of the better teams in the world. In fact, I think they're ranked eighth, and we are sixteenth. So we are definitely the underdogs uh, back in that role again. And uh, anything we do is gravy at this point. They got to the round of sixteen. That's nice. It would be really amazing if we could not not the Dutch out. I don't hate the Dutch at all. I mean, I actually love their orange uniforms and everything. It's a great color, orange they have. And uh, I think they do. They're boring team to watch. They're very defensive minded and staid. They're not as fun as the Brazilians are to watch and all that, but still, it'd be nice if we beat them. I do not believe we will. I think we'll lose 2-1, to but it's still been a very good showing, and our team is so young. Even uh, Pulisic is very, very young. Anyway, now before the game yesterday, during a news conference, one of the Iranian asshole reporters tried to correct an American player for saying Iran instead of Iran, which is why I've been saying Iran the whole damn show like we give a shit what they call themselves. The player took the high road, though, something I would not have done. He thanked the reporter for correcting and educating him. (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot better than I would have done. Uh, The reporter also brought up uh, the Iranian uh, American history, the mistreatment of black people over here. And I would have responded simply with people are literally dying to get into the U.S. right now, While in contrast, people are literally dying trying to leave your hellhole of Iran. Explain that, Mr. Iranian reporter, because you can talk about history all you want. Well, let's talk about what's going on just a few hundred miles away from us right now. Got nothing against most of the Iranian people, but of course we're disrespecting their government like ours right now. There's nothing there to respect. As for most governments on this world right now anyway, and for an Iranian to be up, that's how pompous some of these mouthpieces for the Iranian government are, that they think they're going to get up there and run their mouth and no one's going to clap back at them. Try that shit over here and see what happens to you. Anyway, NFL news. About 10 of the women who are accusing Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson of sexual harassment and assault during massages are going to attend Sunday's game at Houston Stadium, where the Browns will take on the Texans. How ironic he'll be facing his old team and his return from an 11-game suspension, which a lot of people don't think was long enough. Most of the other women have settled lawsuits with him out of court. And we may finally have convinced the final holdouts who thought Matt Ryan still had any football talent left that it is all over indeed, as I've been saying for a few years. Troy Aikman raked Ryan and the Colts' offense over the Colts, and he never criticizes anybody. Uh, during their lost Monday night at home against the Steelers, Aikman obviously disgusted by the plays, the calls, and the players, including a washed-up Matt Ryan weekly missing receivers right and left. It looked like a 50-year-old guy with shoulder bursitis trying to toss the ball with his grandkids. But I was told by so many Falcons fans that Matt Ryan was the bomb diggity and they should have kept him at Julio. Wow. No, that's not true. Before we get to on this day, let me uh, take another swig of the wassail. Mm -mm. It's actually turned into a very nice day outside. I may have to actually walk Go do some walk. There's no excuse not to. On this day, November 30th uh, in sports history, 1872, the first international soccer game, Scotland draws with England nil-nil, of course, in Glasgow. You know, if you're from Glasgow, you're, claw- you're called a, and clawed, a Glaswegian. That is a great term. That really, Glaswegian. It sounds like you're, you're from a small planet between Mars and Venus, Called <laughs> but it, <laughs> Oh, by the way, I saw a great, there was a guy on the internet yesterday, I wish I'd gotten his name, who goes and takes words and tells you where we got the words from. And it's a really cool YouTube thing, and I wish I'd kept his name. And he basically, because of the World Cup, said, I'm going to tell you why we as Americans say soccer, because there's still that, the whole world says football except us. And here's why. Next time some, uh, and I talked a little bit about it, but this gets more into the actual history of it. The reason we use the term soccer, and anytime time the next British person gives you crap about it, say, we got it from you, DB. We got it from you. In the 1800s, soccer, the, the game of soccer in some form had been around for like a thousand years. C- people kicking things. Hell, in Afghanistan, uh, they, they still have a game where they get on horses and they play polo with a goat's head, okay? Anyway. They were kicking balls around for a long time. But in the 1800s, a bunch of British school kids really got really fond of it. And schools started to play each other. But there wasn't any set rules. So some of the schools got together and formed an association, which they called the Football Association, F.A., the F.A. Cup. That's where it comes from. Okay? So we've learned one thing from that. Well, there was a big thing back then. Of course, rugby was big, too, at the time. And they had something called the Rugby Association. So you had the Football Association, Uh, and the Rugby Association to differentiate it from the terms from soccer football and rugby football. Well, rugby just dropped the association and became known as rugby, which is what they're known as today. It's just rugby. That's all. It's not American rugby, European. It's rugby. It's the same everywhere. So they got the soccer rules in the 1800s in Britain. They got them written down. This is the rules that we want. They've changed them, but this is the rules we want. There was a trend, a fad in the 1800s in Great Britain that lasted into the 1900s of, of kids, school kids, who always set the, the language as we know, taking a word, shorting in it to one syllable and adding er at the end of it, like butter and bobber, and they would take something huge, like uh, take the word corporation, it'd be corpor, it'd be something like that. That's just a an example. And the word association was shortened to a soccer. Well, a soccer sounds stupid, so the kids just called it soccer because it was association. That's what the abbreviation was, A-S-S-O-C. And they just took the l off and made it sock with the put the E-R on the end of it because that's what the kids were doing. And they called it soccer. So when the game was imported over here to the United States, guess what they were calling it? Soccer. They weren't calling it football association. They were calling because it was the kids playing it and the college kids, you know, stuff like that. They called it soccer, and that's why it stuck as soccer because we at the time also were developing another game called football, which at the time in the 1800s was very reliant on the kicking game, not so much now. In fact, they're trying to phase it out, it looks like. But uh, back then, I mean, the drop kick and all things, I mean, kicking was a huge part of the game back then because they didn't have a forward pass for a long time. So basically, they wanted a name for that game which derived from rugby mainly a little taste of soccer but mainly rugby our football game came out of and uh, so we started calling it football because we were already calling soccer soccer and that's why we call it soccer so next time anyone from Britain or Europe gives us crap about it say we got it from you all right that's my opinion we welcome yours 1924 November 30th National Football League Championship the Cleveland Bulldogs uh, formerly the Canton Bulldogs, win their first title. They were 7-1-1 one, one that year. Uh, 1954, the 20th Heisman Trophy Award went to Alan Amici, fullback of Wisconsin, the Badgers. 1956, at 21 years, 10 months, 3 weeks, 5 days, Floyd Patterson, the youngest world heavyweight boxing champion, he KO'd Archie Moore in the fifth round in Chicago. Uh, Floyd, the first Olympic gold medalist to win a pro heavyweight title. 1960. That's a good trivia question, because everyone will probably say Ali, or did he win a gold? I think he did in Rome, uh, or George Foreman, or something like that. Uh, let's see, did Foreman win the gold? I don't know. Uh, 1963, uh, the Iron Bowl. Auburn beat Alabama 10 to eight in Birmingham. It was Auburn's first points in the series that they had scored in five years. <laughs> 1971 emmy and peabody award-winning tv movie brian's song about the friendship of bears football teammates brian piccolo and gal sayers based on sayers autobiography premiered on abc starring james conn and billy d williams everybody has watched that everybody has watched that at one point 1976 heisman trophy went to tony dorsett pittsburgh he was running back who became Dorsett when he got to the Cowboys. 1988, New York City furrier sues Mike Tyson for $92,000 for non-payment of purchasing furs. 1993, NFL announces their 30th franchise, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, 2015, Kobe Bryant announces his intention to retire at the end of the season. Uh, Birthdays, a lot of people born on this date. Uh, Let's see, November 30th 1928, Joe B. Hall, Hall of Fame basketball coach, won the uh, Division I championship in 78 for Kentucky, coached there from 72 to 85, never really got under the, out of the shadow of Adolph Rupp. Born in Cynthiana, Kentucky, died uh, earlier this year. Bill Walsh was born on this date in 1931, pro football Hall of Fame coach for the 49ers, also coached at Stanford, born in L.A. 1934, Steve Hamilton pitcher for the Yankees, also was a basketball player for the Minneapolis Lakers, born in Columbia, Kentucky, died in 1997. In 1950, Paul Westfall, Hall of Fame guard, won the championship in 74, he was an all-star in the 70s, 80s for the Celtics and the Suns, also coached Phoenix and the Supersonics and the Kings, born in Torrance, California, he died last year, I forgot about that. Uh, also in the state, Bo Jackson, 1962. Uh, College Football Hall of Fame running back, won the Heisman Trophy in 85 at Auburn, pro bowler for the L.A. Raiders, outfielder for the Kansas City Royals, uh, was an all-star in 89, born in Bessemer, Alabama. 1965, Mike Zandowski was a guard for the Falcons and the Eagles. 1971, Yvonne Rodriguez, Puerto Rican Baseball Hall of Fame catcher, uh, 14-time all-star, won a World Series in 03 with the Marlins. AL MVP in 99 with the Rangers, 13-time Gold Glove winner, some say the greatest defensive catcher of all time, born in Vega, Baja, Puerto Rico. And in 1971, Matthew Lawton, outfielder, was an All-Star in 2000 and 04 2004 for the Twins, was born in Gulfport, Mississippi. More Wasel time here. <laughs> all right, what do we got here? One dead person of note on this day, and I remember reading about her when I was a kid, in 2003, Gertrude Ederle passed away. She was an American swimmer. She was the first woman to cross the English Channel. In 1926, she died at the age of 98. All right, let's do some uh, Pete's tweets here. Do, 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 do. Talking Tuscaloosa tweets that Hugh Freeze was set to be Auburn's coach until he insisted to be paid completely in $1 bills. <clears throat> Uh, let's see. Fire Gus Malzon only to hire Freeze two years later. Woof. That's according to Nick De La Torre. Uh, let's see what else we got sports-wise. Let's get to it. Oh, I was watching the pickleball championships yesterday. <clears throat> uh, it was like watching Anna Kornikova play Maria Sharapova in their prime. I'm telling you, it was well worth watching. I'm just saying. May have to get more into this. Uh, David Harrell on Facebook said, going to be a very good Christmas for the hookers in Opelika, Alabama. Yow. What else we got here sports-wise? Sidelines Bama said the phrase disaster on the pasture is one day either going to refer to the Iron Bowl last year or the day Auburn hired Hugh Freeze. I love that phrase. I'd never heard that till yesterday, disaster on the pasture. (laughs) College football nerds tweeted, Thank goodness this app was around when Hugh Freeze was fired from Ole Miss. Otherwise, Auburn reactions that day would be completely memory-holed. I cannot wait to see what smug college football fans unearth for our enjoyment. Yeah, yeah. Auburn fans going off on Hugh Freeze in the past. Uh, what else we got here? By the way, the Hawks have lost three in a row. What's, what's going on? Come on. The Colts' starting quarterback since Andrew Luck retired. You got uh, Jacoby Brissett was seven and eight. Brian Hoyer zero oh and one. Philip Rivers was eleven and five. Carson Wentz nine and eight. Matt Ryan four four and one. Sam Ellinger zero oh and two. It's. I feel sorry for Jeff Saturday. I really do. No, that's not sports. That's not sports. What else we got here? Trying to find sports. Uh, no. I'm not seeing anything else jump out there. All right, we'll go back to this date and uh, Braves, not Braves, but baseball history. 1948, Bill Veck, uh, talking about Lou Boudreau, says, Sometimes the best trades are the ones you never make. Uh, Boudreau was selected the AL MVP, the only manager to win a World Series and be named the MVP in the same season. The fan-favorite Cleveland shortstop had almost been dealt to the Browns earlier that year, but a protest by Indians fans prompted Beck to rethink it. 1948, baseball's Negro League National League disbanded, uh, one year after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in the major leagues, uh, which attendance dropped in the Negro Leagues. 1952, on a show called Youth Wants to Know, which was a NBC New York television show, New York City, Jackie Robinson accuses the Yankees of being racist due to their failure to have a black player on the club. In 1955, three years later, Elston Howard will become the first black player in the Bronx nine years after Robinson broke the color barrier with the Dodgers. He probably had a point. 1961, the sports writers select Billy Williams as the National League's Rookie of the Year, the Cubs outfitter, a beat-out Braves catcher, Joe Torre. 1970, the Cubs trade veteran knuckleballer Hoyt Wilhelm to the Atlanta Braves for Hal Breeden, a minor league first baseman who later went to the Expos, and that's where I have his baseball card. Atlanta will release the future Hall of Fame pitcher known as Old Sarge. In June, but he will finish the season with the Dodgers. Now, Wilhelm, I think, had helped the Braves win in 69, the division. 1972, the, and then he went to the Cubs or something like that. 1972, here is a trade that I remember, probably the biggest trade of my childhood because it really just shook everybody up. And I think Eddie Robinson was GM at the time of the Braves, who passed away in the last year or so. What an amazing story he was in baseball. Anyway, the Orioles trade second baseman, Davey Johnson, who couldn't hit a lick. Great defensive player, along with pitcher Pat Dobson, Rorick Harrison, and Johnny Oates, the catcher, to the Braves for Taylor Duncan and a 24-year-old Earl Williams, a power-hitting catcher, who hit 28 home runs the season before. He had been the rookie of the year, beat out Willie Montanez, I believe, with the Phillies. We thought Earl Williams was going to be the catcher for the next 10 years, and he just disappeared after that rookie season. I don't know what happened to him. Uh, let's see. Uh, David Johnson was replaced by rookie Bobby Gritch. He went on to have a pretty good career with the Orioles and the Angels. Injured a lot with his back, I believe. Uh, Davey Johnson had three good seasons here in Atlanta, including the one, I'm trying to think, was it 73 or 74, maybe 72, where the Braves became the first team in Major League history to have three players hit 40 home runs. Hank Aaron, Darrell Evans, and all of a sudden, uh, Dave Davey Johnson could hit. And he was more like Dave Johnson when he got here. And I remember being at a Braves game and hit him, saw him hit a huge homer to left field. And, and the, that was before steroids and everything. It was like, where did this power come from all of a sudden? Well, it was kind of weird, but there it was. 1972, the Royals get uh, Hal McRae, a future Royals Hall of Famer, and, and Wayne Simpson from the Reds for outfitter Richie Shinebloom, who was a pretty good hitter, and right fielder Roger Nelson. Wow, McRae uh, later became a very fiery manager <laughs> for a couple teams. Uh, let's see, the thing about Richie Scheinbloom, 7-Eleven used to give out Slurpee Cups with players on them, and I had for years a Richie Scheinbloom uh, Slurpee Cup. 1977, Dave Kingman joined his fifth team that year, signed as a free agent with the Cubbies. Sky King, as he was known, was put on waivers in September by the Padres after a midseason trade with the Mets. He was selected by the Angels who dealt the much traveled slugger to the Yankees a week later. Geez, have bat will travel. Uh, Dave Kingman today, he hit like 194 with 40 homers. He would be he imagine the equivalent is that dude that the Yankees had who couldn't Texas had him, he was great. I can't remember who the hell is his name. And they sent him to New York, and he failed there. So they moved him on to the Dodgers, and he resurrected his career with the Dodgers. You know who I'm talking about? That Gummett, left-handed bat. It's he, He's a. He. I think he married Greg Maddox, or he dated Greg Maddox's daughter, or married her. Oh God, what's his name? Why do I? Oh man, that's really bugged me. Alexa, who was the Yankees outfitter traded to the Dodgers this year? Andy Fox, Chris Wilson, Phil Koch, Bob Ojeda, Blake Parker, and others. Huh. Alexa, who are the Dodgers outfielders? From Fandom.com, they are the AAA affiliate of the Los no. Angeles oh, Dodgers. Alexa, stop. Oh, God. Uh, Alexa, who led the Texas Rangers in home runs in 2020? In the 2020 regular season... Joey Gallo. and Ruby That's Redder it. Alexa, stop. I knew it. Joey Gallo. That's his name. Uh, that's what Dave Kingman would be from the right side today. He'd be a multimillionaire. Uh, 1999 sad news. Braves minor leaguer Roger Blanco is killed by robbers in Catia Lamar, Venezuela. They had gotten Blanco in 1996 in the Mark Witten trade. Mark Witten, uh, famous for hitting four home runs in a game when he was with the Cardinals. Two thousand five, the Red Sox petitioned a judge asking to take possession of the ball used to make the last out of the 0-4 World Series. Former first baseman Doug Minkowitz, spell that one, who kept the ball after closer Keith Fulk uh, threw it, loaned the sensational sphere to the club, but continued to claim ownership of the historic horsehide that made the team world champions for the first time in eighty-six years. Two thousand nine, the Angels vote to give a full postseason share to the estate of Nick Adenhart. The rookie pitcher who died in a hit-and-run car accident in April, a few hours after pitching six shutout innings in his first start of the season. The Halo players who lost the ALCS to the Yankees earned an additional $138,000 plus due to their playoffs. 2009, Sports Illustrated named Derek Jeter as its Sportsman of the Year, making the captain the first Yankee honored by the magazine. It's amazing. The other baseball recipients to win the award, given annually since SI's inception in 1954, included Johnny Padres of the Brooklyn Dodgers in 55, Stan Musial of the Cardinals in 57, Sandy Koufax of the L.A. Dodgers in 65, Tom Seaver of the Mets in 69, Pete Rose of the Reds in 75, Oral Hershiser of the Dodgers in 88, Kyle Ripken Jr. of the Orioles in 95, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, Ugh. Ugh. Uh, in 83 no 98 sorry randy johnson and kurt schilling of the diamondbacks in 01 and the entire red sox team of 04 in 2012 mark and cindy hill of dearborn uh missouri not michigan missouri uh big kansas city fans say they randomly selected the numbers after being presented with an oversized check for two hundred ninety-three thousand seven hundred. no wait a minute $293,750,000, their share, one of the two $192 million Powerball jackpots. Now, wait a second. That math doesn't add up. It must have been only $293,000. Anyway, uh, reports indicated the six winning figures chosen from the uniform numbers of Royals greats George Brett, Mark Gubasaw, Bo Jackson, Dennis Leonard, Dan Quisenberry, and Willie Wilson, 5, 23, 16, 22, 29, and 6. That's really cool. And in 2012, Atlanta traded Tommy Hansen, such a bright star that just faded so quickly, to the Angels in exchange for reliever Jordan Walden. Tommy Hansen had that very bizarre right-handed setup where he threw. I didn't think It was very short-armish. I didn't think it would last. And, of course, he did get uh, troubles with his arm, but he also had troubles off the field as well, which led to a premature death, unfortunately. Uh. A, Allegedly. Uh, Thanks to Andrew Olson of Saturday Down South, ESPN on this day, National Pastime, Paul Casella of MLB.com and AtlantaFalcons.com for such a great job helping me out with this. I really do appreciate it. Let's check uh, Twitter, see if we got anything. Uh, The big story, of course, was uh, Cal Pitts is out for the year with that knee injury. Not good news for the Falcons, I'm afraid. And their, their hunt for the playoffs, which they are still in. Amazingly so. Amazingly so. What else we got here? Not seeing a lot jumping out here. On a Wednesday? No? Michael Waka Waka is in there, but he's not doing anything. What else we got here? Okay, here's Brett McMurphy has got his bowl projections. Now, bowl projections right now, that's that's good. They've been doing bowl projections since August, which is just asinine. But anyway. He thinks that the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl here in Atlanta will be the Bulldogs against the Trojans. That'd be a good game. Uh, the Fiesta Bowl, TCU, the Horned Frogs against the Wolverines. The Rose Bowl would have uh, Washington against UConn. No, not UConn, Penn State. Similar. Uh, similar colors and everything. Uh, and the All-State Sugar Bowl will have the Crimson Tide against Kansas State. Nobody will be watching that game. All right, uh, let's go to uh, Alabama fans and Kansas State will be watching, but uh, let's go to ESPN before I let you go. In fact, their lead story is about Pitts and his knee injury. Um, Tiger Woods says that Greg Norman has to go if there's ever going to be any reconciliation with the Live Tour. A Saudi Arabian team has offered Ronaldo over $360 million to come play there. Uh, UAB is going to hire Trent Dilfer, Super Bowl winning quarterback, Trent Dilfer as their new head coach for the uh, – are they the Blazers, the Blaze, whatever? I forget. And that's it. All right, everybody, have a good rest of the day. And uh, get your Christmas shopping in early. And uh, get the – you know, like, go to farmhouseprintingco.com. Why not? And get your T-shirts. Drink up, Shriners.